The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, everybody. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, nice. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Um, let's see. I don't want to just talk about TV and shit. So what else? Know, right? what, what, what are you? What? Um, hey, what? What's your favorite uh, historical group of people? My favorite? Romanticized version. You know oh. what I'm talking about? Like. Pirates, Vikings, sure, ninjas, sure, sure. Hmm. Uh, Canadians. Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> Historically, like, what do you hmm. like? Yeah, I want to, I would hang out with them. There is something so, I mean, everybody knows this. Pirates are so awesome because they had such interesting, wild lives. Right. And they had such a blurred line between legal and illegal <laughs> and right and wrong. True. There's something cool about them for sure. And they're so democratic. Right, right. You know, and stuff like that. So that's right. pretty cool. But yes, very romanticized version. Uh -huh. I, I think in practice, I would really dislike being a pirate. Yeah, you would. I would hate it. 
But most 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 exciting lives in history are very uncomfortable. <laughs> I you know, never want that. You know what you'd love about it? Ugh. Not having to decide what you're going to eat every day. That's true. It's I just, get one thing. Here, here's what you get. You get salt. You get what was it? Hard tack. Yeah. And maybe fish if you're yeah. lucky. A potato. Ugh, a raw potato. <laughs> a raw potato. Because <laughs> you hate choosing food. I do. I really do. Hate you're not a big food. fan of eating food. In I general. mean, it depends. When we travel, I eat very well. Yeah, but, yeah, but just true. like everyday maintenance food is so boring to me. Yeah, I, get I wish it. I wish food was something you could do just for fun. You said and like to me, we could just take a pill with all the nutrients and makes you feel full. Yeah, for like nor you know days when that's, you're you know busy and you freaking don't feel like it. Yeah, no, that's that's what you told me. Mm-hmm. Yep, you said if I could never eat anything again. <laughs> If I could only, if I could just absorb nutrients through the air like a plant, like just go out in the sunlight. <laughs> Photosynthesize. Remember, you said, all I want to do is sprout leaves, root myself into the ground, grow some bark, and have an owl live in me. I mean, and that's And listen, then you'd be happy. I would not be unhappy as yeah. a tree, I think. <laughs> as long as it's not, you know, in America. What's that poem? <laughs> if only I could wish to be as, as happy and smiling as a tree. When, that's not it, that's but not wasn't it? it? <laughs> Isn't there a there tree is poem? There is, I know, right? Tree poem. I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. Oh, okay. Well, um... And it's a poem, so she's already saying, like, this isn't going to be good <laughs> <This> is... <laughs> as a tree. <laughs> There's better trees out there than poems. <laughs> than this Than this, <laughs> what I'm writing here. It's by um, Joyce Kilmer, by the way. Wow. I've 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 murdered a tree just so I could write She's down like, this terrible poem about how trees are better. This poem should truth. have stayed a tree. This poem should not exist. Wow! But here we are. Rude. I don't know. What do you think? What What would be your oh I dancer um, group? I don't I don't know. I I love uh, I don't know. After the um, Ipirvik and Tukalitu episode, it's kind of like man, you know what? Just a simple tundra life. <laughs> The simple tundra life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing simple about it. Well, exactly. But there's no worries. I mean, just like your only worries. I mean, there's no uh, manufactured nonsense worries. It's all just like true survival. I just need to live. Mm -hmm. And every day is just like, what will I do for food today? Oh, good. I've got some. Great. Time to wait for tomorrow. (laughs) Like, (laughs) uh, there's something. Just snow and ice. And I just. It's just very simple to me. Mm. Kind of relaxing, a little meditative. I see that. Well, if somebody knocked on your door and said, hey, why don't you be emperor of this country? What country would you want that to be? Um, Emperor of any country? If I could be emperor of a country. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I feel like it'd be irresponsible of me not to say the United States. Because <laughs> because there's so Famously much. Famously a place with no emperors. Well, I know. <laughs> Except for Beyonce. But there's so much potential good that the U.S. could be doing, should be doing, some might say, mm. uh, and is not. My grandfather always said, this country would be a much better place with a benevolent dictator, but I just don't have the time. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes that of his. That does sound like your family. It sounds like, yeah. What about you? I don't know. It's tough because I was thinking about Terry Pratchett. Right. A great author who in one of his books was talking about that very thing. This is like, if you have a good king, everything's great. But then what about the guy after him? Is he also a good king? What right. about the guy next to him? Right. Is he a good 
advisor? Right. What about the guy next to him? I guess if you if you knocked down my door and you said, look, you have to go handle all the business of this place, I'd pick something small. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like Luxembourg? Like, yeah, I think I'd New pick Zealand? a small... Because, you know, it just seems... I'd rather be handling my shit well in a small place okay. than feeling chaotic and overwhelmed in a large place yeah. where I could possibly have more power, right, but right, 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 a lot right. more people to be worried about and try to... Try to make happy, I guess. Yeah, sure. Even though they have conflicting interests. <laughs> can never make everyone happy. I no. feel like I just be like, ah, fuck all y'all. <laughs> I'd be a terrible emperor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sick of hearing all this bullshit. On day three, you'd be like, well, good. I made all these people over here happy. What? You're mad? Oh, screw it. I'm out. <laughs> Bye. I'd be like Daniel Day-Lewis, like hanging out, reclusive as fuck, making yeah, shoes. Yeah, he'd go be Ireland. a cobbler, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but people would hate it because I'm a girl. I'm a woman. So they'd be like, what a bitch. Daniel Day-Lewis, they're like, oh. wow, he's so intellectual and awesome. And oh, I got you. Private, but like a girl. I thought you were saying women can't make shoes. Um, Women can make shoes. Yeah. I would prefer to wear them than to make them, but that's true of many things. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Women can make shoes. That's the official stance of Ridiculous Romance. Uh, women can these, make shoes and do whatever they want. These beliefs do not necessarily re- reflect those of iHeartRadio or any of our sponsors, but we think women can make shoes. Women can be cobblers. You go, girl. Just like men. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so no emperorship for you no if thanks. you just want to make some shoes. Um, I mean... Not really. No, what I've, what I've gotten from this conversation is you would rather drop everything and go be a cobbler like Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, Settled. That, All right. Okay. No, I, uh, I just made some texts and I it's official. And like we've got, said, okay. we've set you up with a, with a cobbler ship. A cobbler ship. <laughs> <laughs> now I want some cobbler. Mmm, like cobbler. A nice blueberry or like a raspberry tart. Mmm. Mmm. All right, we'll be right back. I'm going to go get a cobbler. (laughs) No, no, no. All right, all this talk of emperors, empresses. This brings us to today's episode, which I am so excited about. Yeah. Um, This turned into so much more because uh, Paolo emailed us Mm -hmm. and told us about this story after our Sor Juana de la Cruz story. Yeah. And he was like, there's all these awesome stories from Mexico, which we were so excited to hear because we've definitely been looking uh, for episodes from all over the world. If you have any, always send them our way. So Paolo sent us the story of Carlotta and Maximilian the Emperor and Empress of Mexico, Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was strange to begin with. I didn't know there were emperors in Mexico. Then started learning their whole story and was like, this is insane. They have, first of all, they have two distinct stories and you cannot talk about them in Mexico without talking about them in Europe. Mm -hmm. Because the Belgian princess, Charlotte, and the Austrian Archduke, Maximilian, were this married couple of royal distant cousins who were never supposed to hold any significant power. But somehow, these two ended up being the emperor and empress of Mexico. It's outrageous, but like I said, what's even crazier is what led them there. So in part one here, we're going to talk about how they came to govern this small chunk of northern Italy and how the map of Europe changed forever because of the one royal mistake that they made. 
being good at their jobs. Uh-oh. How dare they? <laughs> How <laughs> so, could you? So I say we jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Marie, Charlotte, Amélie, Augustine, Victoire, Clementine, Leopoldine, or Charlotte, as she was known as a child and a young woman. <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. Yes, way easier. <laughs> she was born on June 7th of 1840 in the castle of Laken in Brussels, Belgium. Her parents were Queen Louise and King Leopold I of Belgium. Her maternal grandparents were Louise Philippe and Maria Amalia, the king and queen of France. And her paternal cousin was Queen Victoria herself oh. of Great Britain and Ireland. So, you know, she kind of had a silver spoon in her mouth, like one silver spoon in each hand and <laughs> just a whole bed full of silver spoons, basically. She's like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> Her mother personally oversaw her education, and Charlotte was fluent in French and English and German at a very young age. Eh, one of three ain't bad <laughs> for me. <laughs> she was a real go-getter as a child, and she pretty much commanded the full attention of everyone in any room she was in. But when she was only 10, her mother died from tuberculosis, and Charlotte's attitude shifted, and she became more quiet and introverted. And she grew up very sharp and clever. Her favorite author was Plutarch, and she thought Ovid's work was childish. Which, the metamorphosis? What is this, Dr. Seuss? Get out, because <laughs> I love Ovid. So maybe it is childish. I don't know. I like a lot of childish <laughs> shit. But You're like, well, actually. <laughs> it's not. It, uh, Ovid isn't childish. It's perfectly suited for grownups, just like Iron Man and Spider-Man. <laughs> And Doctor Who. And Doctor Who. Yeah. All very grown-up things. So in the book Charlotte, La Passion, La Fatalité, author Mira Kirkvard said that Charlotte believed royalty was more accountable to God than the general public. So, like, we have a responsibility to be better than everyone else because we were, you know, they believed effectively that they were hand-chosen right. by God to rule. So, mm -hmm. you know, she, she took that to heart, at least, more than most. She said, well, if that's the case, then... We have to be as perfect as possible. It's more our responsibility than the common man. And she became obsessed with learning and with moral perfection at a very young age because of this. But as was kind of the thing with these royal kids, she got the title princess at birth, but it came with a really oppressive lifestyle and a weighty future. Mm. Now, she's like too far down the bloodline to actually rule anywhere. She was never going to be an important figure in history. Right. The whole plan for her life was that someday she would marry some other royal and have a bunch of royal babies, and that would be it. Yeah. Uh, legacy. Yay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and as a teenager, Charlotte started to favor her mother. She had beautiful, delicate features. And being such a bright girl, not to mention the only daughter to the king of the Belgians... She's like a hot ticket. So yeah. the suitors started lining up. <laughs> the first was Prince George of Saxony, who was quickly rejected. Sorry, George. Sorry, George. I don't know, stank breath or something. <laughs> he walked in with some B.O. Right. Or he had just had some fish and onions or something. Hey, you. Mm -hmm. But she was immediately like, mm, no. 
And then next came Pedro, who was in line to be the king of Portugal. Oh. So he was like the number one choice um, for not only her father, but also Queen Victoria herself. Like they oh, were all wow. like, this is the guy for you, honey. Yeah. It's funny, all these royals like having all the input, like we're of totally separate kingdoms. Right. But we all get together and decide who should marry whom. I know, which is so weird. But on the other hand, sometimes I've been like, it almost feels like you should ask other countries right. what you should be doing. Right. Because, I mean, it, I guess specifically for our country, because we are such a powerful country yeah. and we have aid everywhere and we're always walking in with guns and doing crazy right. shit. It's sometimes I'm like, what do y'all think about this guy? <laughs> we're crazy, <laughs> but what do y'all think? Are you scared? Well, but it just to me, it just goes to show how there's all these kingdoms and they all have separate families and quotes ruling them but they're all the same right and it's it's not unlike the comparison has been made but it's not unlike corporate america today where it's like all these yeah they're warring corporations really competing with each other for everything but they all own they're they're all invested in each other yeah there's like five companies yeah they're like oh yeah burger king and mcdonald's feuding again i guess they'll (laughs) all still make a bunch of money right yeah (laughs) because i own them both Anyway, so yeah, Pedro was looking good to everybody, except for Charlotte. Charlotte turned him down, too. And she said, quote, As for Pedro, it is a throne, it is true. I would be queen and majesty, but what is that? The crowns nowadays are heavy burdens, and how one regrets later to have yielded to such crazy considerations. Mm. Which I kind of get. Oh, I yeah. Like I, especially if you're already a royal and not expecting like not in the lineup, you right. know, for real, like right. kind of far away. You're like, I'm kind of getting all the good shit without any of the bad Exactly. Shit. Why would I want to change this? All this responsibility, everyone goes crazy and gets sad mm-hmm. and miserable and hates their lives. Right, they get overthrown or uh-huh. whatever. I don't know. And it's not like you're a king. Oh, great. Now you can do whatever you want because to some degree you can. But a lot of times right. I think we've seen that you can't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got to talk to the Queen of England before I can decide who my daughter marries. You know, like, it's <laughs> a lot of yeah. responsibility. When you have, like, advisors always, like, tapping on your door and uh-huh. shit, and you're just like, oh, this, again, <laughs> this is why I would never, I'd just be like, fuck off, everyone. I'm reading. I want to talk to you. <laughs> All right. Now, we can look back and wonder if maybe her rejecting Pedro was the wrong choice, possibly, because Pedro V did all right for himself in Portugal. The people really loved him, especially after he personally visited hospitals to hand out gifts when they went through a cholera outbreak. And he had a happy marriage to another princess, but she died just a year after their marriage. So after we hear Charlotte's story, maybe we can go back and imagine an alternate timeline where she married Pedro and they both had much, much happier, (laughs) simpler lives. Maybe speculation station. (laughs) But... In this universe, Charlotte met Archduke Maximilian of Austria, and she was totally charmed by him. Charlotte's father, King Leopold, was actually very, very cool about all this. She was his favorite kid, and he knew that she was a smart girl, and you know what? If she wants to choose her own husband, so be it. Uh, Charlotte actually wrote a note to her grandmother in which she said, quote, Father wrote me the most impartial letter, putting before my eyes the advantages of one or the other without wanting to influence me in any way. So really just pragmatic, like, hey, this guy is 
tall and handsome, and he's going to be the king of Portugal, and he's awesome. But the other guy, I mean, you 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 seem to like him, so I'm not I'm not weighing in either favor. I'm saying it's your choice. <laughs> a little passive aggressive, King Leo. <laughs> no, I think Dad of the Year 1840 goes to King Leo here for this one. Nice job. Here's your sash. <laughs> yeah. Add it to your other sashes. <laughs> Maximilian was born eight years before Charlotte in 1832 in Vienna, the capital of the Austrian Empire at the time. His father was Archduke Franz Karl of Austria, and his mother was Princess Sophie of Bavaria. His paternal uncle was Emperor Ferdinand I, and his maternal grandfather was Maximilian Joseph, the King of Bavaria. Jeez. So basically, another drawer full of pure silver spoons. <laughs> right, right. Silver forks, silver knives. <laughs> Anyways, a fancy bitch. You get the idea. Right. And there actually were rumors that Maximilian was the product of an affair between his mother and Napoleon II. Scandal. But historians today say, quote, there is not a shred of evidence to support the rumors. It was probably just some historical shit talk. Uh, As you know, we have to really sort that stuff out. True. At any rate, he, he grew up also very well educated. Uh, too well, probably. He spent upwards of 55 hours a week in class when he was a teenager. Jeez. And he was always trying to outshine his older brother and prove that he wasn't just number two. Right. He was like, I'm not just a younger son around here. I have, I'm smart. I have something to offer. Yeah. Plus that air and a spare thing. Oh, the air and the, the spare. Air and yeah. a spare, which is where you're yeah. supposed to have at least two sons. So you have one. Who's right. going to be the heir. But then yeah. you have a spare in case the heir dies yeah. early. Yeah. But a lot of people took it way too seriously. And they really treated the second or third or whatever as a legit spare. Right. Like, you just sit back there. I don't uh-huh. have to care about you until yeah. I have to care about you. I'm going to put you in the trunk under a compartment. <laughs> and then if I need to pull you out mm-hmm. just to make it a few miles. You sit quietly. Going, You're the donut of the family, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but then everything got kind of all screwed up because... What happened next were the revolutions of 1848. And that means that we're going to have to step out and take a little quick fling with history. Ow! Now, there's so many reasons behind these revolutions, which are often called the springtime of the peoples, that it's hard to call them like one cohesive act. It's just that all around the same time, all across Europe, people were rioting and protesting this pretty miserable existence they were living uh, underneath all these incestuous monarchies that everyone was dealing with. There were rising populations in rural areas, which led to food and land shortages. And peasants were moving to cities, which created a lot of slums. There was all this industrialization, which was shutting down artisan guilds. And then on top of all that, you've got ideologies growing like democracy, liberalism, nationalism and socialism that are all gaining popularity. And people are looking for freedom of expression and freedom of the press and voting rights and the abolition of all these monarchies. Who are all like, we should never have let the peasants read. I told you. (laughs) Yeah, right. And it should be noted that when we talk about voting rights at this time, it was a bunch of guys standing around saying, if I'm a man and I own land, I mm-hmm. should be allowed to have a say, sure. which was better than what they did have. But obviously, I just don't want people to think, oh, they wanted democracy. And that looks like anything like what we yeah. are supposed to have today, you know. 
Yeah, like... Yeah, landowning men. Totally, totally, totally. No one else needs to be included in this. We're not crazy. <laughs> yeah. Not talking about minorities or ladies. Yes. Gosh, what are we, nuts? We're asking for something very, very normal. Very reasonable. <laughs> very reasonable. Just let all the men decide yeah. <laughs> if they have money and land. And land, obviously. Yeah. Now, overall, these uprisings were led by coalitions that never really held together for very long. There were some significant changes as a result, uh, particularly in Austria, Hungary, France, and the Netherlands, and Italy. And the absolute monarchy in Denmark was brought to an end. But most of these revolutions were quickly suppressed, and tens of thousands of people were killed all across Europe. But Max's uncle, Emperor Ferdinand, abdicated his throne in the face of all these riots. All right. Um, he kind of felt like, okay, of course, you know, it's the will of the people. Right. That something changes around here. Yeah. So I'll make a huge change. I'm totally conceding to y'all. You're right. I hear your concerns. I'm addressing your concerns. I'm going to make a huge change here by putting his nephew in charge instead. <laughs> oh, wow. So <laughs> generous. Change. Wow. You've really taken the people's concerns into consideration. It's like going from Bob Iger to Bob Chappick. Still a Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And the nephew was Max's brother, Franz Joseph I. Ah, the now older he's, brother. Yeah, all the older, the heir. Mm -hmm. Now he's emperor of Austria. Wow. And by the way, Emperor Franz Joseph later had a son named Franz Ferdinand. Yes, oh, that one. Like one the band. Like the band, exactly. <laughs> so Max is Franz Ferdinand's, the band's uncle. <laughs> Amazing, right? And when that band was assassinated, World War I started, as <laughs> my understanding of history goes. Right. They were playing a show. People freaked out. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Max went stomping around Europe with his brother, putting down the remaining revolutions by 1849, at which point he would have been 17, by the way, so he's still pretty young. Yeah. And this resulted in rebels being captured and executed. Classic bloody revolution sort of mm -hmm. thing. But Max did not like all this horrific brutality that he was seeing. He later said, quote, We call our age the age of enlightenment, but there are cities in Europe where, in the future, men will look back in horror and amazement at the injustice of the tribunals, which in a spirit of vengeance condemned to death those whose only crime lay in wanting something different to the arbitrary rule of governments which placed themselves above the law. Damn. Wow, Max is woke. Yeah, that is a modern-sounding quote. Really? Like, he's like, seriously, all they want is that you don't get to just walk around going, you know, I'm bored today. Off with their heads. Right. <laughs> like, that seems pretty normal and reasonable to yeah. me. Yeah. Is that a crime to want a better life and to fight for it? And I mean, you know, obviously, if you're a monarch, yes. Yes. But... Right, because it means you have to give up something. Right. Yeah. So Max went on to be a commander for the Austrian Navy, and he did pretty well for himself there. He loved being in the Navy. His place was on the sea on a ship somewhere in command of all these boats. Austria never really cared that much about their Navy, but Max was really good at organizing it, and he gained a lot of support and interest from his brother and the imperial family. Max also had a reputation for being a strong liberal who was heavily influenced by all these hot progressive ideas of the time. Mm. Right. I mean, like it's like an AOC out here <laughs> should be said that Karl Marx was kicking around around uh -huh. this time. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of talk about socialism and all those writings are going around and everybody's thinking like, yeah, shouldn't the people have more to do with, you know, ruling their own country than just these families that just say so. Right. Um, just like he said, with all these people being executed, he he'd really sympathized with that. Yeah. Well, and it's like society's been organized a certain way for a very long time. Can we not try something else? Right. So 
All of this led to his brother appointing him as the viceroy of the kingdom of Lombardy-Venetia, which is basically like the northeast corner of the country of Italy today. Mm -hmm. This was all part of Austrian land. It basically expanded from uh, Milan, which is just south of Switzerland, all the way to Venice on the like northeast coast of Italy. Their previous viceroy was getting old and the Italians were really unhappy and they wanted a more liberal person in charge. Mm -hmm. So his brother thought, you know, yeah, he'll I'll send in Max and he'll kind of strike a balance here. Like he's he's royal blood. He's my brother. So mm -hmm. he's going to do what I want. Right. But he'll, they'll like him. Yeah. It'll be fine. Kind of he's saying some crazy stuff. Yeah. 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 Republicanish <laughs> weird stuff. And so around this same time, he was in Brussels and he met Princess Charlotte. And like we said, she was totally entranced by him pretty much right away. And everyone thought it was a good idea for these two to get married. So on December 23rd of 1856, their engagement was announced. And they lived happily ever after. No, they didn't. <laughs> uh, but we'll get into their royally messy story right after this. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. 
a lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, welcome back to the show. So, so far, I mean, these seem like pretty cool people. Right. You know, Max is super progressive. He's an optimistic dude. He's horrified at his own monarchy's treatment of peasant rebels. Right. Cool. Charlotte, sharp, clever woman who pushed boundaries, married for love. I mean, they both seem pretty cool to me. Yeah, totally. So how did they end up getting into trouble? Well, they did the worst thing that European royals could do in these challenging times. They were good at their job. Oh, my <sighs> God. It's like the king is like, oh, disgusting. I won't stand for it. The things they do are working. <laughs> but let's start with their marriage. Yeah. Um, we know that Charlotte fell pretty hard pretty quickly for Maximilian. I mean, she found him handsome enough, but what she was really drawn to was his fresh new liberalism and his compassionate ideas about ruling. Right. Because, um, again, she's a smart lady. She's yeah. like, this guy seems cool. He's yeah, and smart. they're young. Yeah, You know, totally. they're real in tune with what all the, mm-hmm. the, the cool kids are saying. Totally. He's like the, the Jack Kerouac of her time. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I want to hang out with this kid with long hair who plays the guitar. Or like the JoJo Siwa for like a more modern <laughs> reference, maybe. <laughs> I'd love to see a picture of Maximilian and Jojo Siwa's outfit. <laughs> but just how mutual was this attraction? Well, when he sat down to negotiate his dowry, Max reportedly said, quote, She's short, I'm tall, which must be. She's brunette, I'm blonde, which is good too. She is very intelligent, which is a bit annoying, but I will undoubtedly get used to it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's hanging out with his friends, and he's like, oh, she's just so annoying. She's always thinking, and she has ideas and opinions of things, but, you know, eventually I'm sure it will just blur into the background. I just feel like any other day, any other woman. You know, at least I'm tall, she's short. That's the main thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I cannot do it. <laughs> Also, how about negotiating a dowry? Uh, right. I love that. Right. They sit down at the table. They're like, all right, let's talk numbers. Let's talk numbers. How much are you going to give me to take this bitch off your hands? <laughs> Damn. I mean, that's kind of what it was. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, I guess I need to look into dowries because sometimes the groom would settle money on the woman. And oh, sometimes okay. the dad would right. have to give money to the groom. Right, right. And I don't really understand when which would happen. Kind of like who's benefiting here. I guess. It makes me think of like guests on talk shows. Uh-huh. I'm like, you're you're there to promote your movie, so it's a benefit for you. But the Without talk the show guests. is like, tune in tonight to watch Chris Hemsworth, so it's a benefit to me. So who's getting paid? Both? I don't know. They just yeah. pay each other. They just, they just pay, hand just, a $1,000 dollar bill back and forth a few times. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, it's I, it, I and then there's just like used car salesman aspect of it too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he slaps the bride and he's like, "You could fit so many babies in this baby." Oh god, she's just like, 
I guess. Ah. Well, I'll take her, but I'll need 3,000 acres in Salzburg. Okay, I can give you 2,000 acres. I'll throw in an undercarriage wash. How about that? Deal. (laughs) I do. So negotiations were handled. Max was prepared to get used to Charlotte's annoying intelligence. And everybody was pretty excited about their marriage. So their big fancy wedding was held on July 27th of 1857 in the Royal Palace of Brussels. And everybody was there. Kings, queens, emperors, archdukes, archduchesses, viceroys, vice reigns. I I mean, I liken it to like, I I think of like Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas getting married, right? Like, (laughs) Like nobody really cared too much about them individually and they never saw them as major players, but we're happy for them. And they'll certainly be like perfectly acceptable mid-tier royals, (laughs) likable enough without making any big historical waves, you know, just like Nick and Priyanka. Just like, you know, you're going to welcome a lot of crazy Jonas Fans I'm saying here. that they're great. I love them as a Priyanka couple. They're just fans. not. It's it's. I'm not wrong in saying they're not Beyonce and Jay Z. No, so don't come true. at me. <laughs> Jonas, uh, Jonas stands. Priyanka stands. I met Priyanka Chopra once. She was she was she was, she was nice. Ooh. <laughs> well, she was working. She was working, <laughs> and I wasn't gonna bother her. <laughs> <laughs> That's always like she's oh. very talented. <laughs> Red flag. <laughs> Yeah, no, this sounds like the Met Gala of weddings. Like right. every oh, yeah, yeah. famous person is probably dressed to the nines. Exactly. And showing up in some red carpet procession. Right. And most of them were like, who is this for? I, know, I don't right? know. It doesn't matter. We're, you're just Priyanka, supposed to be here. what? <laughs> so Charlotte was 17 and Max was 25. And they got married. They moved to this royal palace in Italy where he would rule as viceroy. And French Emperor Napoleon III gifted them a bust of Charlotte that he had commissioned. And today, that bust is on display in Florence, Alabama. What? No, I'm not joking. This 19th century bust commissioned by the Emperor of France is behind glass currently at Pope's Tavern and Museum (laughs) in Florence, Alabama, in the northwestern corner of the state. I didn't know there was a Florence, Alabama, no. but apparently they've got some fine 19th century European art. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's not crazy. Two things. Yeah. If more museums had taverns, I mean, I'm just saying. True. People might go. True. And <laughs> not those often. and not those ritzy cafes where it's like no, no. $19 for the worst sandwich you've ever had. I'm talking about a Hobbit tavern where yes. people sing in, slosh and beer everywhere. <laughs> That's would, what I'm looking for. <laughs> I would get an annual pass to... All nearby museums, if they had absolutely what they had hobbits singing. Take note, curators. I'm in. Yes, and find. (laughs) Are you saying they should have hobbits singing songs there? I mean, not necessarily. Or they should just encourage the singing of songs. Yeah, exactly. Just encourage the environment of Hobbit Tavern. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm looking for in my my life. Yeah, I will say. The second thing is. Oh yeah, second thing. This is weird. (laughs) This is a weird place for this bus to end up. (laughs) On the other hand, Florence, Alabama might need a bus of somebody to bring you to Florence, Alabama. I will say, you know, no disrespect to our neighbors in Alabama. Um, When I was in high school in uh, in AP Art History, we took a field trip to Birmingham. And I remember being like, the hell are we going to Alabama no. for for art history class mm-hmm. and no, they had an incredible cool. museum it was a beautiful city mm-hmm. and this art museum was gorgeous and they had 
Van Gogh and like everything. It yeah. was really amazing. Yeah, Birmingham is cool. Yeah. Al- Alabama. There's some pockets in Alabama. Absolutely. It gets, yeah. it gets a bad rap, but there's some good shit in Alabama. Yeah. And, you know, just, just saying, as much as you want to make fun of Alabama being backwoods or something, yeah. I will say they spend more money on arts and history and museums than Georgia. Georgia well, is usually 49th or 50th in that kind of investment in this country. And so they're better than us. Think about that, Georgia. <laughs> Alabama's better than us. <laughs> Do something about Do it, something. Georgia. Try anyway, a that's, little. That's my nonprofit soapbox. I'm getting off. <laughs> getting off it now. <laughs> so back to the story. Max and Charlotte ha- married. They're in their castle. He's viceroy of Lombardy, Venetia. And in his first year, Max actually did pretty well as viceroy. Um, he worked really hard to win over all these different sections of the populace and try to make them happy. Uh, he went to universities and courthouses and invited economists to come and help reorganize the provinces, which had been bureaucratized into a depression by years of military control. So he yeah. was basically like, come on in here and fix all this mess that yeah, somebody like left. Experts who know what they're talking about, yep. who are from here, yeah. can actually come in and have a say about how we do things. Wouldn't that be a good idea? Don't you think they know better? Which I love because yeah. he's like, I'm new here. I don't know. Right. I, I'm, I don't know. Right. You know. You come tell me. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like if you're a good king or a good ruler, part of what makes you good is that you put good people around you who right. know what they're talking about. Right. And if you have a bad team around you, it probably means you're not a good leader. Right. The best people. The best. The best. <laughs> he also got this famous historian to come help overhaul their education systems. He showed up when there were floods. He worked hard to repatriate political exiles. And the public was loving him for all this. Right. He was effectively trying to make Lombardi-Venetia as autonomous as possible. Yeah. Um, and they were into that. And Max and Charlotte had a getaway home in Trieste built called Miramar Castle and another gorgeous home built in Monza where they would occasionally hold elaborate balls. But Austrian officers kept not getting invited because he didn't want to be seen with like a bunch of uniformed military occupiers when he had all his Italian friends over. Right. It'd be kind of like it's like if you're like kind of a nerd. Right. You know, and you finally get invited to like the sit at the <laughs> cool kids table or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And you're like, cool, I'm at the cool kids table. But then you're like nerd friends keep trying to catch your eye. <laughs> be like, let me sit over there. And you're, you're like, like, no, guys, no, one at a time. This. Now, Charlotte was working hard, too. In the book The Crown of Mexico, Maximilian and His Empress Carlotta, author Joan Haslip writes that Charlotte was, quote, a beautiful and clever wife who, in spite of her youth, was already the most accomplished of vice reigns, never so happy as when she had the opportunity of wearing full regalia, receiving homage in the Reggio of Milan. She donated large amounts of her own money for Italian schools and hospitals, and her only regret was not being able to help her husband more. Charlotte wrote, quote, I grow to appreciate and love him more, for he does everything to please me and is, at the same time, so utterly selfless, only wanting to do good and to succeed in his difficult task. So, together, they're kind of doing the impossible, winning over Italians as Austrian leaders. That's crazy. Nobody yeah. ever thought that would happen. Suddenly, these Italians are like, hey, the, the Austrians, hey. They're not so bad. They're okay. I like them. Si. Va bene. (laughs) But all this 
sparkly kindness was kind of an illusion because Max really gave the impression to everyone and even convinced himself that he had a lot more power than he actually did. Right. And nobody else liked what he and Charlotte were doing. So the Austrians, of course, felt very undermined that they were giving so much autonomy to the Italians in this region. And the people of Piedmont, Sardinia, who were the only independent kingdom of Italy, hated that he was making Italians so content with Austrian rule. (laughs) An Austrian prince once wrote while he was staying there that he noted, quote, the bitterness of Austrian officers who found themselves excluded from the balls of Monza for fear that the sight of their uniform might offend the delicate susceptibilities of the Italian ladies. Wow. (laughs) They're like, I know that we've been ruling over them terribly for a long time, but they won't invite me to their parties. (laughs) I'm so, they're so mean. (laughs) Seriously. And then you've got the Italians, the independent Italians, Mm -hmm. who were like, "Uh, no, uh, you're supposed to hate the Austrians. How come you like this guy so much? I don't like that. Stop being so nice to them. Yeah. It's crazy that they were mad that they were being treated better. Yeah. Because they preferred them to not be happy under Austrian rule. That's true. It's so wild. So crazy. But there wasn't really a lot anyone could do because at the end of the day, Things were pretty chill in Lombardy-Venetia, more chill than they had been in many decades. But then everything changed in January of 1858, somehow throwing all of Europe into chaos, when way off in Paris, an Italian named Felice Orsini attempted to assassinate French Emperor Napoleon III. He and a few others threw bombs at the royal carriage while Napoleon and his wife were inside. Eight guards and bystanders were killed, and over 100 people were injured, but Napoleon was unharmed. Mm. So this guy would be decimated on Twitter today. Oh, yeah. (laughs) People would be like, you were trying to help us, but instead you just killed a bunch of people who didn't even know what you were doing. But Orsini thought that if the French emperor were killed, a new republic French government would take over and help Italy gain its own independence. So he was like, I'll just kill this guy. It'll solve all my problems. Surprise, it didn't. (laughs) And he was tried and executed. And that got the Italians very riled up. Yeah. So all across Italy, independent Italy and in Lombardy-Venetia, Italians are freaking out because they executed this guy in France. And Max and Charlotte did their best to go in and kind of chill everybody out. They would go walking through the streets together, unescorted, Mm -hmm. during big demonstrations to show, like, you know, we understand where you guys are coming from. Mm -hmm. We totally get it. I I would be angry, too. They would pass these famous revolutionaries and patriots who were dressed in clothes mourning Orsini's death. Mm -hmm. And like any other monarch would have arrested them and executed them for doing that. For, For making a statement. Yeah. Yeah. But Max and Charlotte just kind of deliberately like made a point of not noticing them. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted them to know, I'm not I'm not arresting you for this. Mm -hmm. Like, that's okay. If you know, oh, I didn't even see you there. Oh, that's a lovely black dress you're wearing. I'm not even going to ask why you're wearing it. You know, (laughs) your feelings are valid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When you hurt, I hurt. I know. (laughs) But military leaders in the area, the Austrian military, they were freaking out and they would rush back to their superiors and be like, yeah, all these people are they're mad about this Italian assassin getting killed. Mm -hmm. And 
the military would come back and they would attack like student demonstrations, even small family gatherings, like harmless stuff. They would come in and disrupt. They'd arrest people. They had searches of homes. They just kick down the doors and say, you're a rebel. We're going to search your place. Classic oppressive empire shit. Mm hmm. Total chaos. And Max would go in and try and protest and say, no, stop. Like, I want to, I'm trying to keep a level head here. Can you guys stop doing this? And they just totally ignored him and did whatever they wanted. Yeah, you're basically putting a match to a puddle of gasoline, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, a bunch of European leaders are getting together to discuss the Italian job and how there was just not enough chemistry between Charlie Theron <laughs> and Mark Wahlberg. I'm just kidding. I'm talking about the job of dealing with all the unrest in Italy. Yes, uh, much a much more, bigger Italian job. Much bigger and probably less thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> and this included reviewing just exactly what the Austrians were doing in Lombardy, Venetia. Obviously, because that's probably what was leading to all the unrest. Right. And the Austrian emperor, Max's brother Franz Joseph, was not happy about this audit. <laughs> right. So when Max showed up to the conference and was like, Hey, I have a great idea. Before y'all decide anything, I think you should implement my plan for a local Italian government to be put in place in this region. His brother was like, uh, hell no. Uh Are you kidding me? What are you talking about, Max? Uh You crazy? We're literally trying to stop them from governing. Mm -hmm. What, you want to give them a government? Oh, is that going to solve everything just to give them everything they want? (laughs) (laughs) Emperor Franz said, quote... Neither now nor ever can there be any question of the Italian provinces being governed independently of Vienna. Such a thing might have been possible a hundred years ago, but now it would only weaken the monarchy and encourage revolution. Our interests in Italy cannot be judged purely from the Italian point of view. They depend far more on the solidarity of the empire as a whole. Classic. I mean, seriously. Classic oppressive emperor shit. And, you know, probably 100 years ago, they were like, I mean, this could have been possible 100 years ago, but today, I mean, our interest in your country can't just be governed by your country. Like, what are you, crazy? Oh, my God. You got, it's better for you Uh if we have you under our thumb. Don't you see? Don't you see? So instead, Emperor Franz backed a move to replace Italy's own currency with the Austrian florin, which depreciated by 3% to put it in line with the rest of Europe. And this would have devastating economic consequences if enacted. Because, of course, depreciating a currency is not cool. It's terrifying. And Max was pissed that his brother wasn't backing him up. So he thought, you know, well, I better go back and tell everyone what's happening. They're really expecting me to have won this for them. Boy, I'm... um, I really got to go tell everybody that it didn't go so... You know... You know, I'll probably look pretty foolish if I go home empty-handed. Yeah, I, I could really use a vacation, actually, right now. <laughs> Uh-oh. And he picked up Charlotte, and the two of them dipped for their vacation villa in Trieste and disappeared for nearly three months. He straight up took a trip to Cancun, y'all. <laughs> I mean, growing up, he'd always said that all he ever wanted in life was, quote, a castle with a garden by the sea. Don't we all? I mean, I think that is on every wish list around the world. <laughs> Call me crazy, but all I want is an enormous <laughs> castle with a garden by the sea where I can just relax and not have to worry about anything ever. <laughs> I know that's weird and no one else has thought that. I mean, Max loved being a beloved viceroy. And if he was making everyone happy, that was great. He was more than willing to put the work in as long as everyone loved him. But when the going got tough, 
he got going mm. back to his special little castle and basically hid rather than go back and deal with it. He couldn't face the music. Right. So we're going to join them in taking a little break before we deal with any of their consequences. <laughs> and we'll be back to see how it all shakes out right after this. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey there. I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage, for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. 
And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the show. Unrest in Italy. Max and Charlotte have scurried off to their their getaway home, trying to pretend nothing's happening. Basically, <laughs> they're they're literally sticking their heads in the sand. Yeah, but the sand is a beautiful castle. a beautiful beach <laughs> <laughs> castle on the beach castle on the beach. So Charlotte is still only like eighteen at this time. To so Max is twenty six. And she's still very starry-eyed in love with him. She doesn't really know how to question him or challenge him. But Haslip writes that, quote, She was a fighter by nature and would have been happier to have stayed in Venice or Milan, putting up a brave front to the opposition, rather than to have retired to the rose gardens of Miramar. Mm. But, you know, she just hadn't figured out how to criticize his decisions yet and, like, get what she wanted out of that conversation. Right. Plus, this was around the time of their first wedding anniversary. And he basically said, Hey, baby, let's not worry about all this political nonsense. Let's take an Adriatic cruise. Hasta la vista. Hasta la vista, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they went incognito as the Marchese e Marchesa di Miramar. And Charlotte stopped at the shrine of Madonna de Loreto to pray for what she wanted most, to have a baby with Max. Mm. But Max at this time was getting kind of distant along this trip. And we don't have a lot about their personal relationship, like how they felt about each other. It's more about kind of the story that was happening around and to them. Mm -hmm. But we do know that when they returned home, she was writing about how she was lonely and bored. And she spent a lot of her time horseback riding and painting and swimming while Max I, probably was just preoccupied with everything that was going on in, in this kingdom he was supposed to be ruling. Mm. Meanwhile, tensions, of course, were rising all across northern Italy. And Napoleon III of France was acting very strangely. After Orsini attempted to assassinate him, Orsini sent the emperor himself a letter from jail. And it said, quote, Remember that, so long as Italy is not independent, the peace of Europe and your majesty is but an empty dream. Set my country free, and the blessings of 25 million people will follow you everywhere and forever. Mm. That is, why didn't he start with that letter? I mean, I guess you got to get his attention, so you need to throw a few bombs first, but that is so compelling, uh-huh. you know? And Napoleon was shook by this assassination attempt already. And this letter really stuck with him. He literally lost sleep over it for several nights. So... This guy, his name was Cavour, and he was the prime minister of the kingdom of Sardinia, and he arranged a secret little meeting with Emperor Napoleon. The assassination attempt by an Italian rebel actually made Napoleon more sympathetic to Italian independence. And he basically thought at this meeting, well, geez, if they wanted so bad that they tried to kill me, maybe, uh, maybe I should help them out. So wow, Nap- what a way to see it. I know, <laughs> so different. Might Napoleon be the III, best result of an assassination right. attempt ever. So Napoleon and Cavour signed the Plombier Agreement. And this said that France was going to agree to help the Kingdom of Sardinia kick the Austrians out of Italy in exchange for 
the Duchy of Savoy and the County of Nice. Those would go to France afterwards. Mm-hmm. And Napoleon was like, this sounds pretty good to me. I'm kind of into it. And I definitely want that land. The only caveat was that it couldn't look like France was the aggressor. They were going to keep this secret. You know, no one needed to know that France was going to be on their side mm-hmm. because basically everybody else, especially England, who was a major power player here, thought that there was still a diplomatic solution with Italy and Austria. Mm. So rumors about this meeting start circulating. Of course. Obviously, and nationalists in Lombardy, Venetia are all stoked that they've got the French Empire at their backs. Oh, yeah. The Cross of Savoy, a Sardinian symbol, became the symbol of Italian unity, and Italians started hanging it up everywhere. And, you know, oppressive governments hate a symbol. They sure do. So in response, the Austrian government just got super oppressive. All of the concessions and plans that Max and Charlotte had been working for were dead in the water. Ugh, it sucks. I know, right? You did all this work and then you come back from your three-month vacation and you're like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Should have stayed. Franz Joseph, the emperor of Austria, went ahead with his plans to change the currency over. Ugh. But that was really dumb because it screwed over the bankers and merchants who were the only class of people who up to this point had been in favor of Austrian rule. Come on. They raised taxes. They spent more money on the military. And they enforced a law where no man could marry under the age of 23 without completing military service. Oh, my God. They also, I'll I'll add that previously only sons and fathers couldn't be drafted. And they changed that law and said, now you can. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, they were really just trying to piss people off. Right. They were basically trying to kick a hornet's nest. Right. These laws were so stupid that Cavour thought maybe the Austrians were imposing them on purpose, like trying to stir up opposition, and then that would give them a reason to execute martial law. But then he realized that such an idea was, quote, giving the Austrians credit for an intelligence they did not possess. <laughs> it's amazing how dumb these laws were. And Max saw it, Cavour saw it, everyone saw it, yeah. except the Austrians. And were just like, the best thing to do is to just keep punching them harder. That'll win them over. Very stupid. And Max and Charlotte were pretty miserable about all this, obviously. Like we said, everything they'd been doing was undone almost overnight. Ugh. So frustrating. Max actually wrote back to his brother and asked to resign and go back to the Navy. But the emperor told him, sorry, that would look bad. So, uh, you know, you got to help the family out. You got to stay. Oh, wow. I'd hate to look bad in Italy. (laughs) Jeez, (laughs) everything you're doing is making me look so good. Seriously, Max wrote, quote, I feel more and more humiliated at having to represent a supine government totally devoid of common sense. Today, I was profoundly ashamed to see how the very people who are willing to show me respect as a private individual completely disassociate me from the government I represent. Nothing is more calculated to show me how powerless I am. Wow. Yeah. He worried that things were going to get worse, and he thought about sending Charlotte to her father's home in Brussels, writing, quote, I do not see why she should be sacrificed. And in times of danger, this is no place for a young and inexperienced woman. Everyone around me seems to have lost their head and their courage. And I ask myself how long my conscience will allow me to follow blindly the orders of Vienna. But Max was a little too vocal about his concerns. Mm. 
And Charlotte was always going on with her Italian lady friends about how messed up the Austrian authorities were. So right. they were both kind of being a little mouthy. They're talking shit. <laughs> they were talking and they, shit. They, I don't think they were ashamed to. No, and they shouldn't have been. Yeah. Honestly, I would have too. Yeah. I'm just like, guys, this is not me. They right. keep writing me these dumbass letters. Look at this shit. <laughs> <laughs> is that not the dumbest shit you ever saw in your life? So eventually the press got a hold of this, as they like to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they started reporting... Archduke Maximilian ain't taking no shit from Vienna. Archduchess Charlotte says the emperor smells like a butt and a sniff is on butt. Read it here first. <laughs> like, that's not what I said, but it is what I meant. But it is what I meant. So, all right. <laughs> you read between the lines. So it was no surprise when his brother, Emperor Franz Joseph, wrote to Max and said, quote, I cannot expect you to always agree with my decisions, but I have got to be sure that what I have decided upon will be promptly carried out. This does not deny you the right to your opinions. What I object to is having them reported in the foreign press, who publish your plans for local government and your criticism of new conscription laws in such a way that all the odium and unpopularity falls upon my shoulders. (laughs) Like, who's who else is so fucking who's? Shoulders should they be on? I'm just the emperor, the last say-so for all decisions in this entire (laughs) enormous empire. Why is it my fault? I love (laughs) why people mad at me. Straight up is like. You need to do what I say, even when it's unpopular. And I really don't like that it's unpopular. And people right. keep saying that I'm so mean. <laughs> like, these are such little babies. What, like, I'm not invited to parties. Y'all are talking shit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's, like, so lame. <laughs> you need to take responsibility for my actions. Yeah. And also tell everyone how great you think they are. Uh-huh. So you can tell me that they're stupid. You got to tell everybody else that they're <laughs> Yeah, awesome. I love... You're welcome to your own opinion. Just don't express <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> He went on to insist that all these issues were to be blamed not on Vienna, but, quote, rather on the bad faith and innate antagonism of the Italian people as a whole and the subversive activities of Sardinia and Paris. It's not my fault for oppressing you. It's your fault for resisting. Yeah. And it's also their fault for telling you you shouldn't be oppressed. (laughs) Wow. Jeez. Uh, you just want to, like, can I just shake him? I just want to shake him. just want to shake him. <laughs> and that's, I'm sure that's what Max is feeling, you know? Because oh, he's getting these letters like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I had everything figured out. Things were going great. Yeah, too great. Too great, I guess. By the beginning of 1859, the Italian situation was teetering into full-out war. All these defectors from Lombardy-Venetia were gathering in Sardinia to join their army. All military leave in Austria was suspended. Then the news came that Sardinian king Victor Emmanuel's daughter was engaged to Emperor Napoleon's cousin. And you know how those alliances are made. Everyone knew that the French-Sardinian alliance was locked in at this point. And it's still secret that France agreed to help Sardinia, but it ain't no secret. Like, everybody knows it's coming. Like, once the engagement's announced, you're like, Uh oh, y'all are about to drop an album or something. (laughs) And Austria demanded the disarmament of Sardinian forces, and Sardinia responded by not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> they were just like, and I'm going to file this, and then they dropped it in a trash, in a trash can. <laughs> Charlotte insisted on staying with Max, but things were changing. I mean, you remember once, even when things were rough, they would walk through the streets without police escorts, but now, for the first time, they were being booed and hissed in the streets of Venice. Oh, fun. <laughs> 
So Max sent her to Trieste for her own safety. There's a description in the book of her bringing trunks full of silver and valuables with her because, you know, surely these palaces might get raided if there was a revolution. Sure, yeah, all your stuff's going to get looted. Uh-huh. And then he wrote, quote, Here I am solitary as a hermit. I am the derided prophet. They want to make me responsible for all that has happened. And then in April, he received a letter from his brother, the emperor, a formal dismissal. Bye. You're not the viceroy anymore. You know what? Fine. If you got such a problem with it, don't worry about it. You can go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, it, we can't look any worse. <laughs> so I guess you can go now. Now that everyone hates you, I guess you can go. Yeah, right. You've absorbed enough of the blame, mm-hmm. but now we're going to full on war. So Bye. get out of there. And Cavour, Sardinia's prime minister, wrote, quote, At last we can breathe again. The man who was our worst enemy in Lombardy has been dismissed. Already his perseverance, his fair and liberal spirit, had won him many of our supporters. Lombardy had never been so prosperous, so well administered. Then, thank God, the dear Viennese government intervenes and in its usual way manages to make a mess of everything and to ruin its chances by recalling the emperor's brother because his wise reforms had displeased the old diehards in Vienna. Nothing was lost and Lombardy is ours for the taking. Unbelievable. I mean, uh, this is the quote. Cavour is awesome. Sorry, this, he yeah. is so good no, at roasting. No, seriously. <laughs> this is the quote that made this story amazing to me yes. because, uh, I mean, he's literally saying Max is too good. Yeah. Max Max was doing a really good job. So thank God the Austrians came in and fucked it all up <laughs> because now, now, th- now no one's happy with them anymore. Yeah. He was our worst enemy because he was a, an effective leader. Yeah. <laughs> he was our, our worst enemy was the was a good governor. From Austria specifically. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, it was making people more comfortable with yep. Austrian rule, as we were saying. And so he's like, great job, you guys, for kicking out the one guy that was helping you out <laughs> around here. Now we are totally going to win. Thank you so much for doing my job for me. Yay. How <laughs> insane that... Him being a good leader who listened to the people and brought them in and did all the right things that we all want our leaders to do was exactly what got him in trouble with literally everyone on both sides of the issue he was in between. This is what's so frustrating about politics, I think, is because you have people that are like big picture, you know, air quotes, big picture people. Yeah. Like Cavour, right? So he's like, honestly, I want my country independent. I don't want to be oppressed. So what I need is for Austria to be as oppressive as possible so that more people will be on my side and come defect and join our army and stand up against them. So the minute you stop oppressing them is the minute that I'm going to lose. Isn't that like an abusive relationship, though, to be like, I'm I'm deliberately making your life miserable. So you run back to me. I'm going to make your new boyfriend seem like an asshole so that you'll come back and be better off with me. Be better off with me no matter what I do. (laughs) Like, come on. It totally feels that way. So war finally broke out, of course, inevitable. Mm -hmm. And just like everyone suspected, as soon as Austria declared war on Sardinia, France declared war on Austria. While Charlotte waited in Trieste, Max rejoined the Navy in Venice. But even there, he was treated with the same indignity and total lack of respect that he'd been getting from Vienna this whole time. He wrote, quote, 
Even here in the Navy, the thing I have most at heart, I find myself humiliated and obstructed at every turn. All these higher-ups who just were like done with him and all his progressive ways. Yeah, they were sick of it. And anytime he showed preference to anyone, they were dismissed. Anytime Max dismissed everyone, his superiors would immediately reinstate them. Despite the fact that all the people the emperor was putting in charge were terrible. They sucked and they kept failing miserably. But, you know, it's just that pride thing where they'd like, I'd rather lose with my plan than listen to you. Mm -hmm. It's so sad to me when you get to that point of an empire. I think it really is an empire thing and not like a person, you know, an emperor thing. Yeah. But it comes to a point where you... It's weaker for you to listen to someone else's more reasonable proposal than to lose the fucking war. Right. Like, you would think that that would make you look weaker. Right. But to them, it looks weaker to listen to this reasonable guy who's been talking for a while that people just don't like. Yeah. So, yeah, all the emperor's guys are doing a miserable job. You know, generals are failing. Battles are being lost. And eventually... Emperor Franz Joseph had to take over the armies himself. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what was going on in the other countries. The Sardinian king and Napoleon were all personally controlling their armies mm. for this war. Speculation station. Yeah. I see all of Franz Joseph's generals chilling in a tent uh-huh. while the battle goes on. And they're just sitting there, their arms crossed, going, why don't they invite us to their party? <laughs> they're having a, such a fun party out there, and we're not even invited. And all the other soldiers are like, but you are invited. <laughs> you threw this damn thing. Get out here and get some ice. <laughs> At some point, Max went to join his brother on land in these battles. And after a bad defeat, he wrote to Charlotte, quote, Exhausted and broken in spirit, I am sending you these few lines to tell you we have lost the battle, which yesterday raged from four in the morning until twilight. Losses on both sides very heavy. I never had much hope of the outcome, but I did not imagine it would come so swiftly and be quite so overwhelming. The retreat in the evening presented a scene of desolation I will never forget. The sight of all the wounded was terrible. How many people have been made unhappy? What happens in the next few days remains to be seen. And he is, he is depressed in that in that letter he is very upset it's funny because he knows this war didn't have to happen but now he's still got to go fight in it against Mm -hmm. the people he was trying to make you know to give a better life to and clearly kind of liked i mean i think they liked it there they liked the people right so it must have been very frustrating he's doing it under the command of these people who've been treating him like shit the whole time right he's like the last thing i want is to do what you say right well in the end the austrians had their asses handed to them The war only lasted two months, two weeks, and two days before Napoleon signed a treaty with them. And it kind of feels like at two months, two weeks, and one day, Napoleon was like, you know, we could probably end this. But I like all the even numbers. Let's wait till tomorrow. Three twos. That'll be historically (laughs) memorable. Two, 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 one. Like, that's got no rhythm. We'll wait till tomorrow. (laughs) One more day. One more day. And Napoleon wasn't quite as ruthless of a conqueror as his father was. He did not want the war to go on any longer than it had to. And Austria had retreated to a difficult position that the French couldn't easily conquer. Napoleon was sickened by all the unnecessary loss of life. So he kind of called it off early and made some deals with Austria, many of which went unfulfilled and left Austria way weaker than it had been. And Lombardy was returned to an independent state, and France got control of Savoy and Nice. 
nice. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's what's so interesting reading the history books about this is they all say that Napoleon III and Emperor Franz Joseph, both young emperors, and they didn't have the stomach for war, mm-hmm. and they di- and they didn't want you know so much bloodshed. Whereas the King of Sardinia was like ready to go, and I'm like, what? Why are we presenting them as not having the stomach for it because they didn't want that many people to die? Yeah, it's such such a weird vibe. Well, it's so interesting to me when you look at leaders, military leaders especially, and you realize that they don't want to see people with their guts all strewn out all across the battlefield either. Like, that doesn't make anybody feel good. You've Mm got to be a pretty damaged person to be totally fine with that. And if you're in charge of that I don't care who you are I don't care if you're the emperor of France like that's going to have an impact on you yeah I hope you don't have the stomach for right. war you shouldn't right. have the stomach for it you should be trying to avoid it exactly. at every turn and we already saw this in Napoleon a bit when he when after the assassination attempt how how shaken he was by that yeah. and how mortality is a real thing to him yeah right so I, I, I like him for that plus it's kind of it's just it's so ironic and kind of funny and they deserve it I guess that Austria was like, I'm going to just keep picking at this scab and uh-huh. pick this fight until you can't take it anymore. And then by the end of it, they've lost everything. They've, they oh, lost all their territory. Completely. They didn't get to keep Lombardy. They're weaker than ever. Yeah. Like y- you painted yourself into this corner all by yourself. Right. Right. Uh, and just I don't by know being what. stupid. <laughs> I don't know what their thinking was because, again, it was a secret that mm-hmm. France and Sardinia had an alliance, but it also wasn't. It wasn't. They knew well and good that if they let a war start, they were going to be fighting the French Empire, which no one in the 1860s wanted to do. No. Uh, and, and especially with Sardinia mounting against them and all these defectors coming mm-hmm. from their own land. Like, letting it get as far as they did was complete idiocy. And I don't know if Franz was just a young emperor who didn't know any better or if he really thought that, like, I'm too deep in now to back off or what the deal was. The thing with Austria is that it's just clearly such arrogant pride that's leading their decisions. Yeah. Like, they're just straight up like, it can't be like this because it wasn't like this. So it can't be like that ever. Yeah. And you're like, well, at some point you have to adapt to what's happening instead of, like, dig in your heels and try to make everything the same mm-hmm. as it always was. And I'm not, I don't know how to tell the difference of when, when to dig in and when to change, but right. I think it's an important quality in a leader. Yeah. To be you're able not to a European emperor. Yeah, exactly. Empress. For Thank God. Yeah. Again, I would not want it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I guess in a way, all that work that Max and Charlotte had done to try and liberalize Lombardy Venetia kind of worked. Got it paid off. I mean, that is true. they are an independent state at this point. Yeah. So Austria lost pretty much all of its Italian land after the war. Max's brother pretty much dismissed him and he was effectively stripped of all his powers and titles. He was too liberal for this emperor, you know, mm-hmm. like you caused nothing but trouble. Just so, go back to your woke mob. Yeah, right. So Max and Charlotte decided, you know what? We're good. Let's retire we're young, we're rich, we were never meant to have this kind of power. We were never meant to be this historically significant, never meant to be in the middle of something like this. We gave it a shot, we did our best, and they didn't like it. I think we've earned a nice, relaxing stay at our castle in Miramar. So they went back to Trieste, and they just chilled with their gardens, and they lived happily ever after. 
until <laughs> one day, who came a knocking at their door? But Emperor Napoleon the Third himself, and he um, said, "Hello, bonjour. Hope you like the wedding gift that I gave you, the beautiful bust. It, 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 it will one day be in Alabama." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I sent it to Alabama. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, uh, also, uh, so sorry about the, the carfuffle back in Italy. I didn't mean to have to fight you there, but I'm sure you understand. But hey, I've got a proposition for you. How would you two crazy kids like to be the emperor and empress of Mexico? Uh, I mean... Ole? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> and I'm, y'all, y'all know that luck in these kind of situations is not on poor Max and Charlotte's side. And honestly, they probably right there, they just should have said, thank you for stopping by, Napoleon. <laughs> uh, we don't want any good night. No soliciting. No soliciting. Shut the door in his face <laughs> and stayed retired. That would have been great for them. If, But I'm telling you guys, if you thought they got screwed as viceroys in Italy, just wait until part two of this episode where we find out what happens when they are given a brand spanking new empire in the new world to rule over and they become the emperor and empress of Mexico. It is insane. I can't wait to get to that. I, I, I mean, this story is so incredible to me. And again, it, we, I don't know a ton about their relationship, their romance, as it were. But the fact that these two people, these, you know, effectively nobodies, like barely royals, ended up being so significant. And if anyone had listened to them, if his brother had said, like, no, you know what? You're doing good things down there. We like it. Mm -hmm. If the Italians hadn't riled things up after Italians started being happy, <laughs> the entire map of Europe and quite possibly the world would be very different today. I mean, that's so crazy for me to think of. You want to talk about can one person make a difference? Right. This guy did. I mean, both of them did. Yeah. Like they're they made a difference in that their goodness sparked this war in a way. Mm. But also if their goodness had been just allowed to be, it might have made for a much more peaceful Europe, possibly. Uh, Maybe, or something. Who knows? Know. Maybe they would have shifted the whole attitude of these emperors uh, you know, and, and maybe independence would have found a new path in Italy and Austria. One thing, definitely for sure, the map would be different because yeah. it all changed here. Mm -hmm. Now that the Europe European map isn't changing constantly throughout history. But, I was going to say. <laughs> but, you know, you change one little thing and then suddenly you never know how it's going to be after that. Oh, yeah. And this was a big thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm fascinated by these two and the, and their impact. Totally. And like when you when you say about their relationship, I think what's interesting, too, is that in their relationship and as just two individuals, uh -huh. they seem to be just very like they're just like average people. Yeah. Like their marriage was not maybe not like super passionate and full right, of like, right. but she clearly was like, well, I'm devoted to him. I want to have babies. That's yeah. what I'm supposed to do. That's what wives do. I'm I'm out here painting. That's what ladies do. We mm -hmm. have accomplishments. We play the piano forte or whatever. <laughs> and he's out here like, okay, you know what a man does is take care of his wife. Right. And he has a family and he has some property and he does what he's got to do for his kingdom. That's yeah. what you do. You know what I mean? It just seems like there's not a lot of burning ambition. There's not a lot of like any of those usual motivators right. of any of our couples. Right. 
And they're just like really just trying to live a very boring life. Like yeah. all they want is yeah. honestly a very boring, straightforward <laughs> life. And they cannot have it. Then, <laughs> they just keep being handed volatile situations. Right. And when they were given something, they 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 were like, well, all right, well, then let's make the best of it. Yeah, let's do our best here. Yeah, totally. And it's cool uh. that they did have such like um, similar like principles, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Because it's cool that they were both out together on the street, like strolling mm-hmm. around wanting to be seen as this this couple right. not just like I'm the emperor I walk around by myself or yeah. I'm the lady who goes to the hospitals or right. whatever they were literally like we're hand in hand united front uh-huh. walking around look at us we're cool with each other we're cool with you like we're normal we're just like you definitely you know and that's that's pretty interesting right and but it's part- just it's just sorry no go ahead. I, I just think it's so interesting that unlike so many of our other characters that we've met who are trying very hard to have an extraordinary life yes Yes, that's um, true. And then and usually succeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These guys were really striving for the opposite and still managed to have a very extraordinary and historically significant Indeed, life. Indeed, yeah. And part 2, we get to focus a lot more on Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, when we get to Mexico and um and uh, seriously, I cannot tell you uh how much more bonkers and weirdly tragic and just chaos that just mm-hmm. ensues yeah. after everything that's going on in Mexico. Did not know France had any interest in Mexico at any point in time. And it wasn't for long. So we'll talk about that uh, in the next part. And thanks to Paolo again for this yes. suggestion. He sent, he sent so many good ones. So we'll be bringing him up, his name up again. Yeah. But, um, but this was a really excellent because we thought it was going to be very much about Mexico. And then like you're researching it going, oh, I'm in every country. <laughs> <laughs> I have been all over the world today. <laughs> So it turned out to be like real international yeah. uh, story up in yeah. here. And it was really interesting. It just sent us on a lot of uh, research K-holes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, their whole life reads like a Wikipedia K-hole. You're mm-hmm. just like, wait, going. now I got to learn about these revolutions. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that. Uh, now I got to hear about this assassination attempt. Never knew about that. Talk about talk about one guy changing the world, too. I mean, this guy's failed assassination attempt yeah. completely changed uh, an, an emperor's attitude about empires. <laughs> you How know? cool of him to write that letter? I mean, like, again, like you know, that's that's really interesting too. That he was like, okay, well, I tried to to bomb the emperor, killed a lot of innocent people. My yeah. bad. Um, while I'm sitting in here, can I get a pen and paper? Because I feel like he might take my call. Yeah, I wanna, <laughs> like, if I'm like, what? hello, your assassin is writing to you. He might want to read that. Throwing a bomb at him didn't work. Let me try appealing to his better judgment. Like, what? <laughs> And it worked. And Napoleon's like, hmm, maybe I should just read these letters before the bombs get thrown at me. <laughs> right. I, I realized that your letter came a few months before you bombed my carriage. Sorry, it got lost in the, <laughs> lost in the shuffle. It was in my to-read pile, my <laughs> inbox. It's been sitting there for a long time. You know how the, you do with these letters, you know what I'm saying? Anyway. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we got to go get started on part two. Yeah. So uh, we'll let you guys go. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, of course, let us know what you thought. Yes. You can reach out at romance at iheartmedia.com. Or on social media and Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Boom, And I'm at oh great, it's Eli. And the show is at Ridic Romance. Thanks so much, y'all. Uh, stay tuned for part two. It's very exciting. It's very cool. Yes. We'll see you then. Cannot wait. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and dance to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 